to tie in with what Susie just said, to offer these beginning words, and then I'll probably come back to it, is when I have shared with some of our own folks, um, and I try to remind myself of this, when you're leading any folks, when you're leading an organization, you're leading people, you're leading a family, um, when you're, even you're in the middle of groups like CAT, talked about. The best gift that we can bring to that is what's called a non-anxious presence. But how do we get to that point, which is the big challenge? We'll come back to that in a little bit. One of my Facebook friends woke up one morning just this past week as he reported Nothing like starting your day and looking out in your driveway and finding that your car has been stolen in the middle of the night. And come to find out his Honda Accord had just been stolen, just parked right in his driveway and went out. And I've had that feeling where you look out and you think something was there, but it's no longer there. And you wonder, did I park it? And he did. And someone took it. Maybe some of you have had something that's been personally stolen. You feel robbed of just more than your personal property. You feel robbed of your peace, of your sense of well-being. Stealing and thievery is this image that Jesus used in describing what happens when we're not truly connected into the abundant life. He promises that when we're living the spiritual journey in John 10, 10, Jesus said, I came to give life, life abundant. But there are those that would seek to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, I, I start with this to say that I started this mini-series a couple weeks ago. I used that imagery of stealing to invite us to think about what it is that may be stealing our joy, what may be robbing us of living this abundant life that Jesus says can be our experience, a life that is full in all the right ways. And I don't say this jokingly. I I mean it when I say I really try to take Jesus at his word. So when he says, I came to give you a life, life abundant, I'm like, all right. I want to live that. But what is it that robs me of that? What is it that steals it from me? And so I reflected on these four possible realities that may be stealing and robbing us of this fullness of life. And I spoke on one a couple weeks ago, anger. Um, The other two that will will come in the next few weeks, addiction. Um, And then apathy. And I know you really don't care about that one, but apathy. (laughs) Good. But today, I just want to look for a few moments at anxiety, and I don't want to create more anxiety. In fact, I want to kind of take a different approach to it. First, some interesting um, background on anxiety, as I did my own research. I think it's important to distinguish between anxiety as a temporary feeling and anxiety as a disorder. They're not all the same. As a temporary feeling, it may be circumstantial. Maybe momentary, anxious about an exam, anxious about speaking in public, anxious about getting a shot, yes, being stuck with a needle. A disorder means it's long-lasting. It can get worse over time and can significantly interfere with a person's daily activities. Now, they're both very real. Even the temporary anxiety, uh, the temporary feeling can be very real as well. Most of you know it's well documented. I don't like needles and I don't like shots. And sometimes, with sort of tongue in cheek, 
But believe me, I don't. When I went and had my MRI a couple week, a few weeks ago at Duke, um, I got there and I had to have some blood work and then I was going to go upstairs to have the MRI. And when I went in to get my blood work, she takes me by the hand and she says, I'm going to take some blood from your hand here. And I said, well, you can just do it in the arm right here. This is okay. She says, no. She says, we'll do it from here. That's where you're getting your IV. I said, my what? <laughs> she says, oh, they didn't tell you. I said, no. And I could just begin to feel my anxiety meter start to go up. So she took the blood, went upstairs to get my MRI. And as she's putting in the IV, and I'm looking over here, being all chatty and everything, she says, now, she said, the other nurse is going to come in and give you a glucagon shot. I said, a what? She says, oh, they didn't tell you about that. I said, no, they didn't. See, I realized the reason they didn't tell me was the next thing, they would have security trying to apprehend a man running through the hallways in blue dress socks and just a simple hospital gown. But all of that began to make my anxiety rise. Now, I say that to say it can be very real. So can the anxiety disorders. It affects approximately 40 million adults, 18 and older, which means about 18% of our population. It can range from anything from disorder to specific phobias, social anxiety disorder, even panic or separation anxiety disorder. It can develop from a complex set of factors, genetics, Brain chemistry, personality, life events. I'll never forget the first funeral I did, the very first funeral I did uh, in Farmland, Indiana, uh, was for a fellow who had uh, served, in, uh, served in, in the Army. And his son, who had also uh, been in Vietnam, was there sitting on the front row. And I regret to this day that we didn't say anything and I regret that the funeral didn't say, funeral director didn't say anything, but there was a 21-gun salute for the person that passed away, and the fellow in the front row, the son, obviously had PTSD. And the minute the guns started firing, he fell to the ground and tried everything he could do to get underneath the chair. And after it was all over, we had to do everything we could just to try to calm him down. Those are very real. Those are very real to people. What may seem like nothing to you and I is very real when it comes to anxiety disorders are temporary. And so it's important to be aware of these statistics and this multidimensional nature of anxiety so we don't oversimplify the issue. And we don't just tell folks to pray harder or to have more faith or say things like it will be all right. Praying is good. Living by faith is important, and knowing it will be all right is a positive thing to say, but sometimes this gives a person, and here's the catch, it gives them more anxiety and more stress and sometimes more guilt and more shame. So when we invalidate this reality and the struggle of anxiety or we offer platitudes, we can drive folks into this deeper anxiety or they bury their struggle to the point of not being able, willing to share it. So by these actions, we tend to make anxiety abnormal, when in reality, what I would like for us to do is to normalize anxiety. It's a very normal experience of the human condition. It's a very normal experience to trauma. It's a very normal experience sometimes to our brain chemistry. It's a very normal experience sometimes even to our genetics. And when we can normalize anxiety, then we're able to talk about it and help one another, and particularly for those whom the struggle is real and even debilitating. 
Sometimes the biggest gift we can offer is that of our presence and our patience and our understanding and acknowledging the reality of anxiety in a person's life and, and, and just simply sitting with them and saying, I know this must be hard. It may not be hard for you. The temporary anxieties may not be hard for you. It always does amaze me. I shouldn't say amazed. I should normalize it. But I am fully aware that for some people to get up here and stand behind this podium and microphone to speak to you makes them stay up at night more than anything else. For me, I could go on for another two or three hours. (laughs) You won't be here. I realize that. But it's different for different people. I may not understand it. I may not get it. But in reality, that doesn't matter. What matters is it's real for them. And how can we normalize it? The book of Proverbs even offers this understanding. Anxiety leads to depression, but a good word encourages. That's actually in the book of Proverbs. Anxiety leads to depression, but a good word encourages. We want to be those folks that offer a good word. An encouraging word to those who are feeling anxious or experience the prolonged anxiety disorders. We want them to feel supported, loved, and encouraged. So what I would say at this point is if you are a person that is constantly anxious, that's okay. If you are a person that has anxiety disorders and it debilitates your life and somehow interrupts your life, it's okay. It's okay in the sense that you're not defective. You're not bad. But particularly, you're not a bad Christian. You're just a person who struggles with anxiety. And people want to be able to help and support and encourage. The word anxiety literally comes from a host of words that means to hold us back, take us by the throat, chain us like a slave. It it comes from a family of words that means to tighten, to narrow, in a sense to suffocate. Some people actually have that feeling sometimes when they're in heightened Um, heightened states of anxiety, that sense of suffocation, that sense of being constricted. They literally physically will have that feeling at times. There's effects of anxiety on people. Uh, Just real quickly, it decreases our capacity to learn. It stiffens our position over against someone else. That's why we have, I think, so many divisiveness and so many arguments sometimes and so much conflicts. When conflict goes up, what often goes up for people? Anxiety. And when anxiety goes up, conflict goes up, and it just keeps feeding on itself. Anxiety can interrupt concentration. It floods our nervous system physiologically so that what we hear is distorted and we can't respond with clarity. Anxiety just floods our nervous system with all sorts of other stuff, and it's like we're clouded. We can't get clarity on what we need to do. Self-defensive behaviors. Our flexibility to face life's challenges is diminished. And particularly this one. People will say that we experience what, call, what is called imagination gridlock. We're not able to think of alternatives or options or new perspectives. Get into a highly anxious meeting, and they will always fall back to the way it's always been done. Because in many ways, they are not able to see alternatives, options, or new perspectives. That's why I say the greatest gift a leader can bring greatest gift a leader can bring to a group or an organization is that of being a non-anxious presence. To be that presence that helps calm things down, that helps regulate it. Whenever I'm with a group of leaders, I'll point to a thermostat 
on the back of the wall or wherever we're at. I say, you see this thermostat right here? You are like the thermostat of the group. To the degree that you turn up your anxiety, the anxiety is going to go up. To the degree that you are self-aware and regulated and are able to calm it and be not anxious, you bring the anxiety of the whole group down. It takes work. It takes vigilance. But I've seen it happen. So the title of the message is intentional. How do we live with anxiety? We want to get to a place in which we live with it and we normalize it. You know, I thought about different titles. Titles are sometimes really don't mean a thing, but I thought how to get over anxiety. That creates anxiety in and of itself. Um, you know, uh, how to overcome it. I don't know if we just ever overcome it. How do we live with it and become more resilient in that living? so that it doesn't get driven deeper into our soul. So what I want to do just for the next few moments is just offer up some very basic understandings drawn from even what the Scriptures have offered us this morning. So the first is this. I would invite you and I to participate in tender self-care for yourself because the reality is God cares for you and I. 1 Peter 5.7, uh, which is read, Throw all your anxiety onto God. Because God cares about you. God cares that we're anxious. God cares about our anxiousness. God cares about the circumstances and realities that cause our anxiousness. God is not interested in chastising us because we're anxious. God is more interested in taking the load off of us and helping us to live with our anxiety. So if God cares for us that much, how much more should we care for ourselves as we live with it? When I say practicing tender self-care, it's not selfish. It's taking this healthy approach to dealing with that which often robs us of the fullness of life that Jesus offers. When I practice tender self-care, I do the kinds of things that draw good boundaries around me and those that may be over-anxious in my life. I draw good boundaries around the things that maybe I need to take a step away from. I do the things I need to do to replenish my soul. I do the things I need to do to care for my soul. I do the things I need to do to get away from that which increases my anxiety. I do the things I need to do to remind myself it's okay to live with it. And God is as concerned about it as I am. The second I would do is I would invite you to pray your anxieties to God. Now, when I, when I wrote that, I thought, so would this be anxious-producing or what? to just pray about it. But Paul writes this, don't be anxious about anything, but bring all of your requests to God in your prayers and petitions. Now this is the same about just pray about it, let it go. There are times we pray and we still feel anxious and stressed, but when we pray, we're not using prayer as a form of denial, but this honest sharing of our heart and our soul to God. So when we pray, we're not expecting God to be some magic genie and it'll all go away. Once we say, amen, God can change things. God can make things happen. But I think when we pray, we're engaging in this heartfelt conversation with the one who is the creator of the universe, the one who is more present to us than we are to ourselves. And when we pray, we shift our focus away from all the what-if scenarios of what could happen, and our souls are focused on the one who created heaven and earth. And part of where anxiety comes from is creating all these scenarios of what if that probably will never happen. But we build and we build and we build so some people do what's called catastrophizing. We come up with the absolute worst that will happen. And we just figure at some point that's what's going to happen. 
I think when we pray, we kind of refocus ourselves and we look in a different direction in a different way. We share with the one who seeks to be our greatest and closest friend. And when we pray, we open ourselves up to God's divine presence as well as the possibilities that exist before us that could help us find a way forward. You remember what I said about being non-anxious? A lot of times when I pray, when I take silence, five, ten minutes of silence, maybe two or three minutes of silence, and I pray about the anxious issue or circumstance, I find that just refocusing opens up other possibilities and insights that I didn't know existed because I have been thinking of how I can fix it, how I can overmanage it, when in reality, if I just take time to listen, other possibilities begin to open up. And I'm convinced this is what God shows me, but I need to clear that space in order to be able to hear it and feel it and sense it. Third, I'd invite you to offset your anxiety with gratitude. In other words, as you live with your anxiety, take note of what is good and right and beautiful in your life. Again, Paul said, don't be anxious about anything. Rather, bring all your requests to God in your prayers and petitions along with giving thanks. Now, this isn't just looking for the silver lining. Again, it's taking time to refocus so that you give yourself space and opportunity to realize the goodness that's taken place in your life. Goodness that may be hard to see, When our lives are so filled with anxiousness, what is causing us anxiety, the source of our anxiousness may still be there. But it doesn't have to necessarily own the space and heart in our soul. And if I were to rephrase it any way, I would say this. Protect your heart space. Protect your head space. Find ways to be able to look at your life and ask yourself, what has God given me? What has God provided? How has God been with me in the past that I know God will continue to be with me in the future? What gifts are present? It may not be what I'm looking for right now. It may not be the answer I need right now, but it reminds me that God hasn't left me and that God does care for me. The fourth thing I would invite you to do is to unplug and disconnect from all that may trigger or feed your anxiety. I think this is huge, at least for me. Thomas Merton wrote this. In our age, everything has to be a problem. You sort of feel that way in society right now. Everything has to be a problem. He writes this. Ours is a time of anxiety because we have willed it to be so. Our anxiety is not imposed on us by force from outside. We impose it on our world and upon one another from within ourselves. When I say unplug... What I mean for me, at least, is there are a multitude of problems in society, and we seem to be living in an age of anxiety. There's breaking news every hour. We're inundated and almost overwhelmed with the latest attack, with the latest scandal, or the latest threat. We have become accustomed to feeling anxious over much that we have no control over. A lot of times, I just have to unplug from all this and disconnect. Should we show practice? I mean, should we show concern and awareness? Yes, But the healthy soul, I think, is able to practice enough self-awareness to know that which they have control over and that which they have no control over. And somehow when I'm constantly inundated with it, I feel like I have to do something about it now or at least later or in the next moment or the next day or the next few weeks. How can I continue to be aware of the concerns of the world and the needs of the world and discern what I need to do without necessarily feeling that every problem out there has to be my problem, and every problem out there has to be something I need to do something about. Again, 
protecting our head space and our heart space and how we can live fully into that moment and be present to what God is speaking to us. And the last thing I would, would add is just simply this, just to take the words of Jesus. Be focused on the present as much as possible. You know, Jesus said these words, Therefore stop worrying about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In other words, I think Jesus really knew that there would be times of stress and anxiety. I think Jesus knew there would be trouble. I think what he said was, don't look to tomorrow, the next day, or the next week. You have enough to worry about today. Deal with the things that are in front of us today. Take one day at a time, one hour at a time, one moment at a time. I used to have, uh, I've shared this before, but I had a seminary professor that would always pray this prayer, and I, and I always remember it. He said, yesterday's gone, tomorrow's not here yet, all we have is today. And I believe Jesus really invites us simply to deal with the challenges we have in this moment, the anxieties we may have in this moment, the worries we may have in this moment, and then we take the next day, and then we take the next day, and then we take the next day. Sometimes for me, there have been things I've been worrying about next week or next month or next year. And what I find is that when I got to next week or next month or next year, it's already been resolved or it's already come to a conclusion or things have worked out. But in between that time, I realize how much energy I used up in being anxious about it and worrying about it and not present to what I needed to be in this moment and in this time. For living with anxiety, it can be done. And I think it can be done in a way that we continue to feel the joy and the abundance that Jesus offers us. And I hope out of any of this, what you and I have come to be able to experience is that it's okay that we have anxiety. It's okay that we struggle with it. I would say as a closing remark, if you're somebody out there that struggles with it and it's debilitating and you've never talked to anybody about it, then talk to someone. Get help. Find a counselor. Find someone who could maybe help you navigate it and make your way through each day. That can be so important. There's nothing inherently wrong about seeing counselors and outside help if we need to. Find people that can support you and encourage you and listen to you, that understand you are willing to validate your experience and feel safe for you. But most of all, again, however we choose to do it, find a way to simply live into it and realize that both you and God can handle this. And God cares for us in such a way that God wants to walk us through it and walk with us in it and be present to us to help us find a way forward.